0: Back to the full camp with Bruce Dobigan. I'm Bruce Dobigan, and this is where my curiosity leads me. If you enjoy these podcasts, go to iTunes, look under "Not the Public Podcast," and subscribe. We're also available on a number of your other favorite platforms. Remember back when people were laughing at Sarah Palin's death panel prediction? Well, it looks like we may be there sooner than we think. American author and consultant Wesley J. Smith has written: Once a society embraces euthanasia consciousness. The ways one can qualify to be killed legally by a doctor continually expands. He points to an ethics opinion by the College of Physicians and Surgeons of British Columbia that a patient, not otherwise eligible under the current law for euthanasia, can become eligible by starving themselves into an irredeemable medical condition, what is described as V.S.E.D., Voluntary Stop Eating and Drinking. Smith says Canada has embraced a positive right to die. Once that Rubicon is crossed, the protective guidelines that euthanasia advocates promise will protect the vulnerable are, what do you know, Presto, changeo, redefined as obstacles impeding access to a good death that a compassionate society must overcome. Wesley J. Smith returns to the Full Cat with Bruce Dobigan. He's among the world's foremost critics of assisted suicide and utilitarian bioethics. His blog on the National Review advances his theory of human exceptionalism and defends intrinsic human dignity. And we're pleased to welcome him back once again to the Full Cat with Bruce Dobigan. Hi, Wesley. Hey, Bruce. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. First of all, if you can, give us the state of play right now on the issue of assisted suicide. How many jurisdictions have made it legal, and what sort of restrictions are placed on them, on it in general?
1: <laughs> uh, in the United States, uh, you now have five states and the District of Columbia where it is legal. Until last week, you had six states, uh, but a court in California uh, declared that the law in that state was unconstitutionally enacted. And I can go into the details about that if that's of interest to you. Uh, and in, in the United States, um, there's also the state of Montana, which has a bizarre Supreme Court decision of that state that is disputed what the impact is. Um, in, except for Montana, where there are no uh, guidelines because it was a court ruling, uh, the re- general requirement is that a, a person who wants assisted suicide must have six months or less to live reasonable expectation uh, for the doctor to uh, uh, be able to legally prescribe lethal drugs for that purpose. Um, in uh, Australia, uh, the state of Victoria also enacted an assisted suicide law uh, more pretty recently. Uh, Canada lethal injection euthanasia was imposed by the Supreme Court all across the country uh, in 2015, and that is uh, playing out as to the uh, the exact extent of eligibility there. There is a minor kind of uh, protection, supposed protection, saying that death must be foreseeable, whatever that means. Uh, it is also lethal injection euthanasia is legal in the Netherlands, where it is really wild, uh, Belgium, where it is even more wild, uh, and Luxembourg. Uh, assisted suicide Uh, They have suicide clinics in Switzerland where people go to be made dead. And Germany, a court ruling uh, found that assisted suicide was legal so long as it was not done for a selfish motive or something of that kind or a a venal uh, monetary motive, and uh, that's still kind of in the air what that means. And Colombia's Supreme Court imposed euthanasia too. I'm not sure whether that has begun in that country or not.
0: Now, when you say wild, it's a wild situation in Belgium and, and, and the Netherlands. What do you mean by that? How wild?
1: Well, it's, it's to the point where even I, in my most uh, wild, paranoid dreams, demonstrated that just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not really after you. Yes. Uh, yeah, you, had, uh, you have had geriatric euthanasia killings, meaning joint killings of husband and wife uh, in the Netherlands and in Belgium and one in Canada. Uh, and a couple in Belgium were not based on any serious illness per se, but fear of future grief uh, caused by widowhood, that kind of thing. You have in uh, Belgium and the Netherlands mentally ill people who are not otherwise physically ill uh, who want to die are euthanized, and if they consent, their organs are harvested. Uh, now, think about how cruel that is, uh, where you people who are having a terrible, difficult time getting through the night because of this existential, anguish caused by mental illness, and they're made to believe that their deaths have greater value than their lives. That could be the tipping point that pushes these people over the edge. And yet this kind of uh, killing and harvesting conjoining has actually been written up with all due respect in organ transplant medical journals. Uh, You've had uh, a a case in Belgium, just another another example of a woman who was um, sexually predated, by her psychiatrist, kind of a me too kind of thing. Uh, he, would, he took advantage of her for sexual uh, pleasure, and uh, when she finally realized that he was basically using her for himself, uh, she stopped consenting and, and went public and said, "This man should be, you know, professionally sanctioned." And when he wasn't, she went to another psychiatrist and who euthanized her because of her anguish. Mm. It's just incredible. Uh, and then you have in Belgium, no age limit in terms of children. Uh, and they're pushing in that direction in the Netherlands. Uh, you have people uh, with uh, early onset Alzheimer's who can be euthanized. People can put in their advanced directives that if they become incompetent, they can be euthanized. I mean, there's virtually no limit almost uh, in these countries uh, for euthanasia. It's uh, uh, because once you decide that killing is an acceptable answer to human suffering, or once you decide that, uh, that eliminating, to eliminate suffering that justifies eliminating the sufferer, well, th- there's really no uh, hard and fast limit that you can place on that. Because anybody who's suicidal for more than a transitory period uh, is suffering in a way that they define for themselves— as being unacceptable for continued life. Mm. And once you say, well, then then that justifies killing, you basically abandon an awful lot of suicidal people, people who, in the past, would have received suicide prevention and whose lives might have been spared and might have been saved.
0: In the, in the article in, in National Review, you pointed to the ethics opinion by the College of Physicians and Surgeons in British Columbia that a patient, and I've read about, I've got this in the introduction, but, but about patients Uh, going into VSED, Voluntary Stop Eating and Drinking, as a way to get themselves to qualify for this. I think there's also a story you you cite from Oregon where patients with uh, treatable diabetes now cease their insulin injections to get themselves into qualifying for this. I guess this is the the, the next frontier.
1: Sure. I mean, these laws, uh, when people are selling euthanasia and assisted suicide, the advocates say it's only for people whose suffering cannot be eliminated in any other fashion right it's a safety valve to prevent actual you know terrible intractable irremediable suffering but that's not how the laws are written the laws are all written so that the uh, the intractable or irremediable suffering is as defined by the patient and if the patient does not wish to have the kind of uh, medical interventions that would in fact Objectively alleviate that suffering, then it's still irremediable because the patient doesn't want their suffering remediated. Mm. Uh, so, so in the uh, in the uh, BC case or in the medical uh, journal article from Canada, uh, there is now discussion: Well, help people um, starve themselves to death till they get to the point where death is clearly foreseeable, and then we can euthanize them or use the uh, Canadian uh euphemism made medical assistance in death it's still lethal injection euthanasia any way you call it and the oregon situation was a uh, what i call a death bureaucrat or one of the state bureaucrats in the department of health that supposedly oversees which of course there's no real oversight of uh, this assisted suicide he was asked point blank by a researcher if somebody has treatable diabetes and just Decides to stop taking their insulin, uh, and that makes them, because they're not taking insulin, terminally ill. Does that qualify them for a lethal prescription? And the bureaucrat said, Yes, quite candidly. You know, there is no requirement that treatment be received. And so you can see where these, even the uh, ridiculously loose and, and almost to the point of not being binding. Uh, Guidelines, for example, there have been people in Oregon who were issued prescriptions and didn't die for years thereafter. The six-month thing is a joke, Mm -hmm. Uh, but even even that, uh, you can see can be easily be gamed if I want to use that term, especially when you're dealing with a doctor who's an ideologue in terms of of the uh, euthanasia or assisted suicide issue. So you've had cases of doctor shopping, for example, in Oregon, where the a patient goes to their doctor, asks for assisted suicide, the doctor says no for whatever reason, either I don't think you're qualified, or I don't do that, or uh, you know there's another way we can go. I don't want to give you a lethal prescription. The patient just goes to Compassion and Choices, which used to more honestly be called the Hemlock Society, asks for a referral. They refer to a death doctor, as I call them, uh, and the the death doctor says, oh, you're Terminally ill uh, probably could qualify for the six month thing because that's very loose, and writes a prescription. And there have been cases of uh, of patients who've known the doctor who wrote the prescription for two weeks and less. Mm -hmm. So I mean, the idea that there are rigid and strong guidelines is baloney. Mm -hmm. All there is are some uh, pablum kind of very loose, open, and ever stretching uh, supposed uh, restrictions that are not enforced. Uh, and that uh, are are subject to such broad interpretation that they really are almost meaningless.
0: You're listening to the full count with Bruce Dovig, and our guest this episode is Wesley J. Smith, a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism. He's also a consultant with the Patient Rights Council. Um, My own family, our own family just went through a lengthy end-of-life process with my mother for for the last Mm -hmm. five years of her life. Well, you know, she was 92. She had a great life. (laughs) And we're celebrating her very shortly here. But for for the last five years of her life, she was alternately depressed and suffering from dementia. Now, most of it was managed by medication, but there were times when, uh, you know, before she became dependent that she wished maybe for a speedy end. She was vulnerable, but of course her family knew that as a Catholic, she never wanted euthanasia. Now, I might feel differently, however, about the end of my life. How do we balance a person like my mother's desires against mine and find a legal way to do it? What's the prescription that you're talking about?
1: Uh, I I don't quite understand the question you mean. How would somebody like your mother, and my mother, by the way, died of Alzheimer's in my home uh, in in 2016. She was 99. And I'm telling you, I was her sole caregiver, and I could have gotten her to the place where she would have accepted, even though she didn't ask for assisted suicide, I could have gotten her to the place where she would have because she trusted me so completely. And during the day, not at night—at night she went uh, really off the deep edge with the Alzheimer's—but during the day she was almost uh, normal. And I could have gotten her, especially with an ideological doctor, through that process.
0: Well, I, I guess that's what I'm saying. In, in our situation, quite easily, my mother was a, in a vulnerable state. Yeah, uh, exactly. We could forced her in that direction, et cetera. Easily. I guess, I, I guess what I'm saying yeah, you, is— Yeah, here's
1: the point. Is coercion occurs behind closed doors. Right. And so just because a, a patient comes with her family, let's say an elderly woman, uh, and has a bona fide uh, diagnosis doesn't, you know, doesn't mean that a doctor who may not even know her would be able to— uh, have any kind of effective uh, uh, observation that she wasn't being coerced. It happens behind closed doors. People are not going to come into the doctor's office with bruises on their face and being told, sign, sign, sign. That's not how it works. And then you've got the idea of of what could be called a subtle coercion where the person starts musing, you know, gee, I'm suffering, I'm I'm old, you know, I'm such a burden on you, I'm such a burden on you. Well, ma, you know whatever you decide, if you decide you want assisted suicide, that's that's your choice and we'd support you. Well, is that coercion? No, but it's certainly a suggestion and it certainly lays some if that occurred in my hypothetical you know, it could certainly create some an idea in someone's mind and push toward a certain direction. I mean, what's really amazing to me, Bruce, is we hear talk again and again of elder abuse and old people being taken advantage of by family members. And then when we're talking about assisted suicide, suddenly they all live in these loving relationships where all that anyone cares about is grandma's best interests. I mean, it's just crazy because we don't want to know the downside of this. We want what we want. As Jerry Brown said, I might want this when I'm that going through that situation. So he signed the California bill. We don't care who gets hurt as long as we get what we want is, is what I'm seeing way too often on this issue.
0: I, I guess what I'm saying is based on both of us having gone through fairly similar experiences, is there a law that you can write that you personally would write that could give us some direction this way for people who, who are cogent, and 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 wanted to, to to die is 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 there, a, is there a way you can write a law that way
1: i don't see how uh i mean of course i would never write such a law but but if uh, if you were to try to write such a law, it certainly couldn't be done in the kind of relaxed self-reporting, only after the fact review uh, that is required. I think it would it would require. Uh, I mean, this could even be a, a, another form of evil. You know, death courts where people came in to prove that they should be able to be killed. I mean, just think about that. Instead of instead of. Working overtime and more energetically to provide the people the kind of care so they won't want assisted suicide, so they won't want euthanasia. We never hear about that. Mm-hmm. All we hear about is choice, 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 and as we've just been discussing, well, you know, choice is a very elastic term. What are the What is the context? Maybe in three weeks somebody would have a different perspective. When I was a hospice volunteer, my first hospice patient, if assisted suicide had been legal, believe me, he would have taken it. He fell in my arms saying, I want to die, I want to die, I want to die. It was an elderly gentleman with a heart condition. And, uh, and I said, why? And he said, I'm a burden, I'm a burden. It's two months later, he was in such a better position, he never talked that way again. And here's the postscript to that particular story. Eventually, he actually got better and got kicked out of hospice. (laughs) But but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if he had, in the first month or two, had been able to take the poison pills, he would have. There's no question in my mind. And he would have, nobody would have known because they would have been patting themselves on the back for compassion. But nobody would have known what he would have missed, which was getting kicked out of hospice and moving on with his life.
0: Yeah, I well, I what I mentioned in the introduction about, you know, Sarah Palin got much derision for her discussion of death panels, uh and and the, the you know, the usual approved people of course tutting her, oh, what a what an imbecile, what does she know, etc. Uh for those of us who operate under a uh, you know, a one single payer system, a social med- social medical social medicine uh, situation like we do here in Canada, though, it's not that strange. We we do know that there are ratios. We do know that those things are happening. Uh, you know, and oh I sure, think- and you get you
1: get ra- you get rationing by long queues, unless somebody's rich and then they fly down to Florida and pay for it out of their own pocket.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: The- uh, and by the way, you take a look at what's happened in Canada. You've gone beyond mere legalization of euthanasia. York Supreme Court and York parliaments, federal and provincial, are creating a positive right to receive euthanasia. And once you have a positive right to receive euthanasia, then the government has to decide how to make sure people get what they're entitled to. And since the government isn't going to set up death camps, (laughs) they're not going to set up death centers, they're going to start forcing doctors to do it. And that's why you see in Ontario that horrible ruling by the court, which said that doctors with a religious objection uh, or moral and conscientious objection to euthanasia who don't wish to kill a legally qualified patient and do not wish to be participate in it by actively procuring a, a euthanasia doctor for that patient that your judge said if they don't want to do that they can get out of medicine because what counts over and even the judge even admitted in the decision that the the doctors who who have a religious objection, their charter right, their explicit charter right to freedom of conscience and religion was being violated, but that right must be subsumed to the non charter right invented right of patients to have equal and equitable access to all legal health care proceedings that 's not in the Canadian charter. Right. A judge made that up. And the judge decided that his or her, I don't know if it was a man or a woman, made up a supposed right for a Canadian, trumped the explicit right protected by the Canadian Charter. Any country that would force doctors to commit homicide, because that's what euthanasia is, is not a free country. It is tyranny. To force anybody who's not in a in a military situation following a legal order to kill, are you kidding me? Mm. but that's what a, a judge in Toronto has done. That is what the province uh, provincial parliament in Ontario has done, and it makes Canada not a free country. That is a, a terrible abuse.
0: Well, welcome to uh, Trudeau's Canada, where if you don't subscribe to his uh, pro-choice thing, you can't access federal funds and, uh, for a bunch of programs. Uh, we They're they certainly heading in this way. And uh, as you know, I mean, this is the uh, the abortion debate, but we don't have an abortion law on the books in Canada, but we have a government that governs as if uh, pro-choice is the law of the land and that they can they can make sure that you do not get access to federal funds that you've paid for with your taxes because you don't agree with the government of the day.
1: It's a, it's a very sad situation, and uh, Canada is moving away from a, a country based on human rights because they are skewing the meaning of that term in a way it was never intended.
0: Yeah. Well, we're also running into the same problem. And this whole, this whole Bruce, this
1: whole conscience issue, I mean, I got I'm mad at Canada because that's a terrible court ruling. Imagine the brain drain. Just think in terms of utilitarian concerns, the brain drain of doctors who... You know, expert oncologists, expert neurologists, expert cardiologists, who who may be nearing their retirement years, and say, "Well, rather than be forced to kill, I quit."
0: Yeah.
1: And think about the very talented medical students who, who won't go into medicine at all, and yet these these uh, these these utopian uh, uh, you know the, euthanasia is compassion types. We're going to force doctors to do it. Are willing to countenance that in order to get. Make sure that people can be killed when they want to be killed if they're legally qualified. It's really startling and unbecoming of a free country, particularly one like Canada that is supposedly the, uh, you know, the better uh, angels of the American nature. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Well, we hear that all the time, of course, when when there's an issue about Mr. Trump in America that uh, you know where Canada is pointed out as this great compassionate place because uh, of our health care, et cetera. We and we also have hate speech laws, which of course have stigmatized free speech in our country. And again. This this is all under the guise of being uh, being liberal, being progressive. That somehow by you know free speech and 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 health care uh, is is great for us who want it. But if you don't want it, you still have to take it, and you still have to take it on our terms. I mean, it's Canada is becoming a, a, a real pariah that way.
1: Well, free speech, uh, as long as you agree with the reigning paradigm, well, that's not free speech. I mean, and you know, I'm not I'm not equating Canada with Hitler at all. Please don't mistake, but. Germans who liked Hitler had free speech, you know.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> it's when you dissent. It's when you dissent from the uh, from the the uh, majority views that free speech becomes important. Yeah,
0: is there is there a, 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 a silver lining to any of this that you can speak of? Is is there a, a direction that people are going in that maybe can give us some optimism that this might be checked?
1: Well, I, I mean. I've been doing this work for 25 years. My first anti-euthanasia piece came out in June of 1993. I thought it was a one-off. I had no idea I would be doing it 25 years later. But I've been hearing since 1994, when Oregon legalized assisted suicide, that this was inevitable. There was no way to stop it. It couldn't be stopped, etc., etc. et cetera. Well, in 25 years, they've made some, some inroads, certainly, uh, but not many. I mean, most U.S. states still reject it every year. They have despite millions and millions and millions uh, of George Soros money poured into Compassion and Choices, uh, you still only right now, as I mentioned, have five U.S. states where it's legal, plus the District of Columbia. Portugal just refused to legalize euthanasia in the last week or two. So did Finland in the last week or two. New Zealand is not doing it. The U.K. has repeatedly rejected it. So uh, while there is uh, certainly—it is certainly a major— Issue facing the West, whether or not to legalize euthanasia. The rest of the world isn't engaging in this because you know people are still looking for access to quality health care. And 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 the interesting thing is that in the in that the assisted suicide and euthanasia movements basically are a statement of no confidence in doctors' ability to control suffering. And yet they want to turn to these very same doctors who they think can't alleviate their their anguish sufficiently to kill them. It's just stunning to me. The ironies are are thick and, and bitter.
0: One of the great ironies would be that if you're trying to control health care costs, one of the things you should be doing is encouraging the faith-based community, because in many cases, they're the ones who offer comfort to people uh, in their last days on earth and give them a reason to live. Uh, and, instead, well, and
1: and in Canada, they're, they're, because uh, Catholic nursing homes, for example, don't want to engage in euthanasia, they're they're under threat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, the faith-based community is, is the last best hope for that kind of dignity, and ironically, as I say, they may be an answer that can help you in terms of, of, of health care costs uh, because they can save you a lot of these other problems because they can deal with people on a human basis rather than on a medical basis. Yeah. Well, as always, Wesley, I really appreciate your time. It's, it's, it's a really uh, compelling issue, and as we all sort of head towards that decision for ourselves, it's, uh, it's one that we all uh, want to see some sort of clarity on and, and maybe not the direction we're going in.
1: Well, I hope uh, people will come to their senses uh, this, this issue is driven by hyper-emotionalism, uh, and you hear stories of uh, supposed bad deaths and so forth. I think opponents have to understand that, that uh, there are stories here, too. In fact, I got into this whole issue because of a story which we don't have time to get into right now. But uh, in an age of, of hyper-emotionalism, uh, it's very difficult to get people to see the, the problems with these kinds of deadly agendas. And it's just up to us who oppose them to redouble our efforts to let people connect to the human reasons for refusing to legalize assisted suicide and euthanasia.
0: Thanks very much for this, Wesley.
1: Thanks, Bruce. You've
0: been listening to The Full Count with Bruce Dobigan. Our guest this episode was Wesley Smith, Senior Fellow at the Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism. And he's also a consultant for the Patients' Rights Council. Don't forget to subscribe to The Full Count and all our podcasts at iTunes under Not The Public Podcast and also on my website at notthepublicbroadcaster.com. You can access my poems, my podcasts, and my columns on that website. I'm also appearing twice a week on Sirius XM Radio Channel 167 Canada Talks. I'm on at noon Eastern Time on Mondays and Fridays. I'll post our conversations on my website, on Twitter, and on my Facebook page. Till the next time, this is Bruce Dobigan, and remember, the story isn't complete till it reaches the full count.